Hello and welcome to this health and wellbeing podcast created especially for all primary care staff in Greater Manchester. This is an exciting companion to the new primary care excellence work focusing on supporting a culture of health and wellbeing for all our staff. I'm Lynn Marsland, the GMGP Board Support for HR, and I'm delighted to introduce you to some fantastic guests exploring a range of health and wellbeing topics. And we'd love it if you got involved too. If you have a subject you'd like us to discuss, drop us an email to the address on the episode page. I'm really looking forward to today's episode because it's a topic I've not really explored before but it's crucial for helping maintain a healthy and happy workplace. I'm talking about psychological safety, something that ensures you trust one another and have a voice and know how to use it effectively. To discuss this fascinating topic, I'm delighted to be joined by Pete Ledwith, Quality Improvement Programme Lead with Aqua. Thanks so much for joining us today, Pete. Before we really unpick this topic, can you briefly explain what we mean by psychological safety? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about psychological safety, we're talking about feeling safe to be able to express your feelings and your inner self, to be able to talk about what is important to you in an environment that you feel protected and you won't receive any negative feedback from the views that you share. So so why is this so important, particularly in the workplace? Because in the workplace, certainly in the current situation, obviously it's really quite stressed, is high intensity, there's a lot going on. And we need to keep both ourselves as the staff and the workforce and our patients as safe as possible, whether that be from medical procedure, whether that be physically safe, The foundation that sits underneath that is that psychological safe position to be able to speak up and actually say when you feel that there is an issue. When you feel that there is something that needs to be addressed, you get the opportunity to be able to express your true self without fear of retribution or without fear of any negative feedback that could affect your personal standing within the team that you work with or on a wider scale maybe even sort of your professional standing. It's really, really important that we have the the space and the opportunity to be able to have really open, challenging conversations that are done in a respectful manner that allow us to really be aware of the issues and the challenges that we face so that we can, due to that awareness, produce solutions and improvement that allows us to deal with them problems or them issues. So I guess what I'm hearing then, Pete, is in the workplace, it's important that there is a culture which enables people to feel psychologically safe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's really important. And, and probably the, the crux of how to get this and how to view this whole methodology uh, or theory The saying that culture eats organisational strategy for breakfast is a well-used saying and and it's very true. But we refer to psychological safety as eating the culture itself. And certainly when we're talking about teams, 
So from an organisation or for a, from, from a GP perspective, a practice may believe that the culture is really strong and really sound and very safe, but even in with a small team, if, if an individual within that team doesn't feel psychologically safe, then actually it can have a damning effect across the, the wider workspace and thus the care that we give. Culture is absolutely essential it's essential to ensuring we get this right. It should be the way that we do things. So when we talk about culture, it's about walking the talk. It is very much action-focused. And with the best will in the world, if the walk and the talk aren't actually aligned, then it's always the walk that shapes how we do things around here. I'm asked regularly about culture, what does it mean and how do you change? And, and actually, some of the really simple things are very important. The way we act with each other every day, the way we say hello, the way we say thank you. And they sometimes feel almost irrelevant. And on a busy day, they are some of the things that we miss. And actually, just that, that basis of being polite and civil in a first instance can be the catalyst that creates the inertia required to have cultural shift if it's needed and I would always suggest being someone that is heavily involved in quality improvement that there should always be a vision to try and improve whatever it might be and, and culture is one of them things that we can always look to do some improvement around. So I think what we're saying is one of the observable elements of culture. You can have things written on a wall about these are our values, etc. But the key observable thing about culture is behaviour. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I've worked with multiple trusts, whether it be community, primary, and the majority of which will have, as you say, some real observable posters there'll be a mission statement there'll be whatever it might be to advertise how we do things around here but the real thing that forms the culture is what we do and how we act and, and is culture is about doing so tell me a little bit more about psychological safety well i think one of the easiest ways of, of having this conversation is to start with what it's not because there is some conceptions out there that that psychological safety is about just being nice and that's not true. Sometimes we have to have really challenging conversations and they're not always nice, but what they should always be is appropriate and respectful. It's not freedom from conflict. It isn't that space where we sit and say, I'm psychologically safe, so I'm not going to have a challenging conversation. It's really, really important to, do, uh, to be able to do that. It's not an opportunity to have a whine or a whinge or just a straightforward moan. In a psychological safe environment, it's about being really, really constructive. It's about understanding that we all have needs and we all need to have a voice, but they need to be constructive. If they are concerns and negative feedback is difficult to take, as it's a human response is to protect ourselves from that feedback, it's not a nice feeling. But in a psychological safe environment, you're allowed to be able to do it. And I think really importantly, it, it's actually not the goal. So quite a lot of people consider psychological safety as that's a thing we must have because actually that will provide us the best possible environment. But it, it, it's not. Psychological safety is about producing an environment that allows us to reach our goal. And I believe that our goal is to provide the safest and best possible service, healthcare provision that we can for our patients. And it's an enabler to the goal. It's not the goal itself. But without it, 
we can't reach the goal. What I think I'm hearing you say, Pete, is that being psychologically safe is having the ability to express something rather than automatically trying to defend yourself from something. Why do we feel the need to defend ourselves? It's an innate trait. It's a, it's a human trait for self-protection in every weather, whether that be physical or whether it be psychological. The environment that we've worked through and developed through our lives has, has taught us when we can and can't be and has given us markers of how we do feel safe. But in essence, we're our own, uh, and this is the words of Amy Empson, actually, we're our own image protectors. We, we are absolutely, we, we are advocates of our image and to allow us to advocate for that, we need to protect against negativity. If we are thinking that we don't want to look stupid, then you know, we won't ask the questions that we need to be asked. We want to protect ourselves so that, that we don't want to look incompetent. So we won't ask for feedback on what's happened. You know, it's super easy for me to carry out a process, think that's that done, walk away. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm now safe within myself because no one's told me that actually, Pete, that was okay, but it could be better. I've allowed myself you know, the, the insecurity for that feedback. Likewise, um, Amy Emerson goes on about if you don't want to look negative, you won't criticise. And again, when we talk about psychological safety, we're talking about teams and a team understanding that criticism is a way of providing feedback that allows us the opportunity to improve. So it's really, really healthy. It has to be respectful and it has to be appropriate, but it's healthy to receive the feedback and critical feedback when it's appropriate because we're looking to improve ourselves. I always talk when we're talking about quality improvement and how we link quality improvement to psychological safety. People talk about the perfection myth and the belief that we're actually we can never get to perfect. And this sounds almost disheartening, but perfection is, is a myth. It's a journey that we go towards and we continually strive for. And we'll never stop doing that. To allow us to do that, we have to open ourselves up to that critical feedback. And that's, in a psychological safe environment, that's something that we can do. So we're talking about uh, individual personal responsibility for ensuring our own and others' uh, psychological safety. What would you think is the leader's role in this? Well, first off, absolutely crucial. Uh, so the leader's role is absolutely crucial in making this happen. So you talk about a personal responsibility and a team responsibility, but, but that leadership umbrella that fits over the top of it. So for me, this is about modelling and role modelling absolutely setting the standards for how we do things around here and again that links back to that culture we talked about at the beginning where it's very much about it's the uh, the walk and the talk and making sure that you are doing the walk at all times there's a, a tool an amazing tool and again it's amy Edmondson, so i'm clearly plagiarizing her work and she is the, the the foremost leader in this um but she has like an eight-point strategy for what leaders could consider really useful for building psychological safe environments. And then she just sets it out in these eight points, the first one being hold, holding people account for their transgressions. So if something isn't right, 
then it's okay within our team and as a leadership role to encourage, to, to hold to account. So if someone does something, you say, that's not acceptable. That, that's not how we do things around here. We don't talk to each other like that. It's not constructive. So there becomes this agreement almost within the team and the group that if someone does stray outside the bounds of what's acceptable, they will be held account for it. The move on to there is um, of setting boundaries. What is in and out of scope of what we're trying to achieve? It's almost like giving yourself role clarity. What is it I'm what is it I'm here to do? What is it I'm trying to achieve and where are my objectives? If you know that, you understand what success looks like and as an individual understanding what them success factors are are really helpful for keeping us psychologically safe. And when we move outside of them boundaries, again the ability to be able to speak and say, This isn't part of what we're trying to do here. Failures my background is uh, military aviation. I've got a strong background in human factors. And we accept the fact that we will fail. Absolutely will fail. We cannot stop that. We look to build environments that are as error-proof as possible. But there will always be failure. In a psychological safe environment, we don't look at the failure with uh, a blame culture of, I can't believe this has gone wrong. We look at it to, from a learning culture and say, so fine, we know that's gone wrong, that's not what we wanted. What can we learn? What can we do differently next time so that the outcome will be better? Other things we talk about here is we talk about direct language. And, and when we're working in stressful situations, time-pressured situations, there's a team agreement that using direct language is acceptable. Now, when I say that, I have to be really clear because some people make, get the confusion between direct language and rudeness or incivility and that's not the same direct language and again in human factors we talk about um, structured critical language and direct language is an understanding for the team that when the pressure is on and there is a time constraint that needs to be done then it is okay to talk in a direct way this is what i need can you do that it is absolutely respectful and the group have the agreement, the team have the agreement that that works. And if it doesn't, the team also have the ability to be able to say, that's not working for me. One of my absolute favourites for a leadership perspective, and I think all leaders should do this, and I take a little bit, a couple of examples from the military, is modelled fallibility. So the concept that someone, no matter what position they hold, is error-proof can never make a mistake is well it's damning it's damning to an organization and it's really quite unsafe so if errors happen if it, as a leader if i make a mistake i'll absolutely put my hands up and say look i have made a mistake as a team how do we come together and make the mistake unlikely to happen again or what can we do differently I always look back to when I was operational in the military as a, as a leader of a small group. They used to look up to me as if I would have every single answer. The pressure involved in that is absolutely overwhelming sometimes. And I certainly, I, I didn't help the situation sometimes. And I remember in my junior leadership days, I used to do things like I used to look at certain individuals and even speak to them and say, you're my main people, you are the people I know will get the job done and I know you'll get this right first time and there'll be no issue. And I put undue pressure onto people by putting them on pedestals. 
But actually, as I've grown and my experience levels have increased, that modelled fallibility of, yeah, we will make mistakes through this, but together we will reduce the likelihood of it. I think that, for me, resonates back to when you were talking about people's need to defend themselves. So whether it's defence as in what's said or defence in the way that people behave, I think we're talking here in that particular point about modelling fallibility around the real psychological safety of the leader themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with it. But we're talking about role modelling. Then if I, as a leader, can model the fact that I am fallible, then that opens the opportunity for the team to do it and completely if we know we are fallible then we accept it and we work in the conditions that create a safe space to be fallible instead of what happens in many organisations and many of the teams that I've worked with whether that be within healthcare or in the military is when things go wrong they get hidden and then we don't learn and then they happen again And, and that's not excusable so a real safe environment is when things go wrong because of the model fallibility through the leadership model, you know, the team understand that let's let's make sure that that's open and known and the important thing is we do something about it as in some kind of improvement activity. There's a couple more that Amy does talk about and, and one of them I really want to... I want to focus on and it's about being accessible as a leader. Now, I remember when I was, um, let's say, uh, a junior within the military. And my boss at the time used to say, my door is always open. And um, well, half the time it was physically shut anyway, but even when it was open, it never was. Because he was big, autocratic, and if I'm being honest with you, quite dinosaur, dinosaur leadership model that you would have. I suppose it would be the typical example if you thought about a military leader. That's whom they might be if you have that image. And even though that door was open, there was no way that I was going to be able to go into that office because the fear that I was not safe enough to go through that door, no matter what it was. So when we talk about a leadership responsibility, accessibility is not sitting in an office saying you can come and see me. Accessibility is going to the team and just having conversations, making conversations, even if they are a little challenging, the way we do things, it's the daily accepted and the norm. And I think, you know, we, we, we know how busy the NHS environment is and that we have to put our patients first. That can be sometimes quite difficult for a leader to do, but bearing in mind that if they are going to create this culture of psychological safety, they're going to have to duck out occasionally and talk to the staff and the people around them. It's so important. It really is. And from a leader... It's about understanding the work as is done instead of the work that is imagined. And that's how we pulled that information across. So it's one way of pulling that, getting that knowledge. Of, and I know as a leader, I've set my teams up to do X, Y, and Z. So why is it they're doing A, B, and C? It, it's not the same. And having them conversations will let you find out what the causation of that is. And thus you can do the work that allows you to probably in reality be a compromise of, of way to get to where you need to be the final point on here 
um, that I wanted to raise was about inviting participation and as a leader, and I have to go back to my military role with this one because I remember there was a time when I was in another country operational and I was leading a team and I'd, I think I'd done about 16 shifts of 12 to 16 hours each day and I was physically fatigued, mentally and psychologically probably spent. And we got asked, we got tasked with an operational duty that I didn't think the team were capable of doing, if I was being perfectly honest, but it was one of them you must do. And I found myself in a, in a space where I found a quiet area just to sit down. And I had my hand, head in my hands, and sat on the floor, if I'm, if I'm being really honest. And my boss at the time came across and says, Pete, we need to have a conversation. He says, what's up? And I said, well, I've explained what I've just said within that scenario. And uh, he gives some wise words to me that, that have resonated with me. And he goes, you, you need to be able to tell someone this. And remember, you don't need to have all the answers. And it, it was really inspirational leader to me, and I remember it really clearly because he followed that up with your position as a leader is not to know everything. It's to be able to pull the very best out of your people so that you can get to the answer. And I, that's the bit that the psychological safety links. I always link into that participation. As a leader, your power and your brilliance is to harness the team and pull that in so you can gain that knowledge. And that's so important, it's always stuck with me. And I think that, that for me is is absolutely critical when you're under pressure, as you say. You're not on your own as a leader or you're not on your own as a member of the team. There are other people there who you can, in the nicest sense of the word, use to support or to deliver. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and even though I was probably 15 to maybe even 20 years experience in the military at that time, it was that single conversation that I had with someone that had been through that themselves, who just switched on that light bulb for me and had that sort of moment, that paradigm moment where I went, you're absolutely right. And I, and I just, just saw things in a slightly different light and it really helped. I think that model that you've just been talking about there is, is one that would be helpful for people to to bear in mind. How would you summarise what we've been discussing today? Well, talking about models and, and leadership models, um, I used to teach leadership at the Defence Academy. One of the models that we used there uh, was a MICE model. We saw the acronym MICE, and it was I think it really resonated with me because it was super simple and I like simple models. I like the simplest way. So my C is, uh, the M is, you know, when you think about what you're doing today, model the way, set the example, you know, that model fallibility, that this is the model of expectation. And the I is inspiration. Be inspirational, inspire the team. Have people look at you and go, absolutely. You know, if it's a military background, I like what well, I've got, it's, it's I will absolutely uh, you know put myself in a position where I want to be that person and I'll, and I'll follow that person GP you know in a practice about inspiring that team around you the seeing mice is challenge and that's really important and that's challenge the team if you're a leader you know challenge the team that's okay but allow the team to challenge you so important to being open to challenge and having that as the way we do things, 
having that as the norm, that it's perfectly okay for someone to challenge a decision or a course of action that's been that, that's taking place. It's too easy in the mice. We talk about enable, enable the team to do the work. You know, when you've got a great team around you, don't micromanage. You know, absolutely tell them what we want and perhaps when you want that by. But the how, that's their brilliance. Allow them to open up and have their brilliance. And then the final lead here is entrust. Entrust the team and they'll trust you back. It's really circular. Uh, and it is the fundamentals. Trust is one of the fundamentals of building a psychological safe environment. Psychological safety for me and culture, we talk about values, set our organisation or our personal values because that shapes the culture. And when you have a culture, you know, and you work to that culture, that shapes the behaviours you have within that organisation. And then, then behaviours, they shape the outcomes that your team, your staff, yourself, and importantly, our patients, it's the outcomes that they experience. So I think that probably sums up where, where I want to be and, and how I feel the importance of psychological safety can lead to a better environment for the staff and importantly, of course, the patients. I think this has been a really fascinating discussion. It's brought home the importance of psychological safety and more importantly, what it actually is. And then for me, the key role of a leader in engendering a kind of culture that supports psychological safety. Thank you so much for our discussion today, Pete. You're absolutely more than welcome. so much to Pete Ledwith from Aqua for sharing those valuable tips and advice. We really hope you've found them helpful. For more information about the Primary Care Excellence Programme, look for the link on the series page. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, there's an email address on there too. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find out more about Aqua and the work that they do via our episode page. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to this series via your favourite podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And remember to tell your colleagues so they don't miss it either. This is a Fresh Air production. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Music